Habibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Today I'll be your host, Brother Amos here, and I'm here with my great elder, esteemed elder, Baba Makaru. And uh, we don't have Gullah Jack with us today, uh, but he is with us in spirit, and he will be returning soon. We got a lot going on today that we're going to get to. Uh, we want to deal with the Biden and Harris situation. A lot of people are celebrating this in the black community. We're also going to deal with the family that was killed, the Senegalese family that was killed by arsonists in Colorado. And we'll also deal with the young sister that was also killed in Madison, Wisconsin. And also a local farmer here in North Carolina who has been harassed by whites for buying farmland. We're going to deal with all of those topics. But at the top, we're going to start with or we're going to lead with the situation that's going on right now with the DNC, Joe Biden, and Kamala Harris. But before we begin, I want to play a short clip by our great elder, uh, H. Rap Brown, on politics and how they relate to black people. And I want you to listen to this clip because. Even though this is an old clip, it really applies right now to the state of black people in America now and how we should deal with politics right now in the United States of America. Listen to this clip. What about politics? Uh, where, where do black people fit into the political spectrum right now? Or should they at all? Well, politics is defined by the geographical and influential spheres of this country is irrelevant to black people and is irrelevant to the masses of people. The vote has been used as a tool of oppression against black people. I mean, Camus raises a very good point when he says, what better way to enslave a man than give him the vote and call him free? See, it does not profit black people or poor people anything to have the vote and not be able to select the candidates that they want to choose. Now, how can you choose between London Johnson, Nixon, Agnew, Wallace, and Humphrey. There is no choice. Evil is evil. There's nothing in between that. There was some lesser candidates. Uh, Dick Gregory uh, running for office. Elders Cleaver. I think the vote can only be used as a tool of organization. We can only use the vote to organize our people. Now, to really believe that we can put someone in office and that these people would be responsive to our needs is naive, politically naive. Because even if one of the black candidates who ran for office was to take the office of president, then black people must be prepared to fight against that person. Why? Because, you see, the system mandates the action of the individual. The individual does not determine how this country will function. This country works off the military-industrial complex, which means that it's profitable to wage war. And unless you, you know, devise another plan, another scheme to sustain, uh, to boost this economy, then it's going to be necessary to wage war whether, you know, a black individual is in, is in office or a white individual is in office. Well, so we're talking about a complete uh, a change in system. Uh, if Mr. Cleaver did win the election, don't you think that he could have conducted uh, the presidency in a unique manner that may not be, you know, compromising to the system you speak of? No, because, you, as I said, the system dictates the response right. of individuals. See, individuals do not influence you know, politically, economically, or socially. I see. The attitudes are functioning of the system. 
So, if politics as we know it here in this country is not the answer, what is? I think there has to be a reevaluation of politics. Now, there are definitions of politics that are relevant to black people. Chairman Mao says that politics is war without bloodshed, and war is an extension of politics. I think black people have to begin to address themselves to the politics of revolution, because we are caught up in revolutionary struggle, whether we want to believe it or whether we want to be or not. So I think, you know, black people have to begin to think in a revolutionary fa fashion and create and construct a politically revolutionary platform. Ashe, so those were the words of Jamil El Amin, also known as H. Rap Brown. And you can understand why they won't even allow this brother to be interviewed because of the seriousness of his thought process. And they know that if more black people were to think seriously like this, then we would pull ourselves out of this condition. And the people have to be continued to uh, be enslaved mentally in order for us to continue to be oppressed. Uh, so as he stated in this, in this video clip, there is no political answer in the United States of America for black people. The only answer is to change the entire system. The entire system must be changed or destroyed. And, and that, is, that is the only answer. What are your thoughts on that, uh, Baba Makaru? Well, just uh, a baby for Hodie African family. Uh, I, I totally agree, Brother Amos. You know, the beautiful thing about that interview, which I believe was taped in 1969 with our esteemed ancestor, um, you know, Brother Gil Noble, who did so many valuable interviews with you know, producing information, just like our brother down in Columbia, Listervelt Middleton. Mm -hmm. uh, just how advanced this brother was in terms of his thought process. And he actually it, it symbolizes uh, the youth of uh, black youth, you know, who rose up during the 1960s and, and went through the process of trying to... Uh, reform the system that you know they they risked their lives they were in prison jail beaten to just get some you know basic rights just public accommodations and the right to vote and then they became radicalized when they saw uh, really you know how the system operated and what they were what they were up against and you know, brother uh, Jamil H. Rap Brown is certainly one of the reasons why uh, the United States government launched a war on the black liberation movement. Uh, we remember that when uh, uh, the institutionalized white supremacist J. Edgar Hoover released his uh, black nationalist hate groups uh, COINTELPRO document in August of 1967, Brother Jamil H. Rap Brown, along with you know Kwame Ture, then known as Stokely Carmichael, were two of the people that were called out. These are young men in their in their mid, you know, uh, mid to late twenties um, at at the time, and these guys struck absolute fear in the in the white power structure of this country, and we can only imagine how where we would be today if we had been if we had had uh, the consciousness to 
rally around these brothers and, you know, fight the system, you know, tooth and nail. Uh, but, you know, people have to be bought alone to get to that process. And that's and that's what they were trying to do. That's why I always say that, you know, it, it at every step, you know, for the at least for the past 500 plus years, we get taken out of our development. Um, imagine what it ha- what would have happened, for example, had Norma lost. See, that process of development would have been taken out. That That's not to say that, you know, Taharka or somebody, you know, may have come along years later and, and, and still did the same thing. But you get taken out of a process, then, you know, what happens? So, you know, but what he's saying, it, it, it's so, he's so clairvoyant <laughs> in, in predicting, you know, if the country produces a black president, then we will have to fight against that person because that person will represent the interests of the power structure. And this is what we saw with Barack Obama. I understand, I understand why, you know, people look at these symbols uh, with, with such importance and why it has such a powerful uh, psychological impact on us. Uh, it stems from the defamation of our character, mm. you know, by the white supremacy dynamic, the historical defamation of our character. You, you can read this yourself, the, the words of institutionalized white supremacists, uh, for example, like uh, Thomas Jefferson writing in his notes on the state of Virginia. He says he's talking about us comparing them by their faculties of memory, reason and imagination. It appears to me that in memory. They are equal to whites in reason, much inferior is I think one could scarcely be found capable of tracing and comprehending the investigations of, of uh, Euclid and that in imagination, they are dull, tasteless and anonymous. Uh, I advanced there. I advanced it, therefore, as a suspicion only that the blacks were originally a distinct race or made distinct by time and circumstances are inferior to whites in endowments of both body and mind. Now, this is a, a person who became the third president of the United States, uh, one of the largest uh, owners or enslavers of African people in history. And he put his words on paper, unlike George Washington and some of the others. So we have the example of Jefferson uh, representing institutionalized white supremacy. And, you know, I mean, obviously what he's saying is ridiculous because, you know, we know from the, 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 the work that our scholars like uh, Yosef Ben-Yakin and Sheikh Andrew Job, John Henry Clark, others, you know, put us on this path towards understanding the African origin of civilization and all that was a, was accomplished as a result of that Theophile Obanga. Uh, we know that uh, what would Euclid and the Greeks have known about mathematics had they not come to Africa and studied? So, I mean, it just shows you how ridiculous Jefferson was or how ignorant he was in terms of his statement but the point is the point is that is that this historical defamation of our character has created uh in our people an enormous psychological investment in what i call the first black syndrome i'm glad you touched on that yeah the first black syndrome because i mean obviously uh you know, we, uh, you know, we obviously were nowhere, you know, near being even thought of, uh, you know, even I, as old as I am. 
uh, you know, when Jack Johnson became the heavyweight champion of the world. But I'm sure Jack Johnson becoming heavyweight champion, uh, you know, it 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 induced a great amount of pride because it showed okay, we we we're not inferior. You know, we can physically beat white men. You know, Jefferson talking about. Uh, you know, we are superior. White people are superior in body and mind. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so th- Joe Lewis, I'm sure, you know, there was a huge psychological investment in the success of Joe Lewis. Same with uh, Jack Roosevelt Robinson, Jackie Robinson, a huge psychological investment. I, you know, I remember as a very, very young person, and this was very late. It may have been Jackie's last year playing baseball but i remember my grandmother my great-grandmother was just so excited you know when this guy would come on tv you know when we finally got a tv uh so black people have always made a huge psychological investment in the first black Mm -hmm. and so as huge as the investment was in you know jackie robinson joe lewis people like that the the psychological investment in barack obama was off the charts absolutely off the charts why it says a lot about how we view the president of the united states you know it's viewed as the in the world generally as the supreme symbol of power the pinnacle of success but what is the american president in reality the american president you know from washington to trump is the manager of the american empire that's his fundamental job. And what does that have to do with African people other than our continuing oppression and powerlessness? But because of the defamation of our character, when a black person achieves something and what black, what Barack Obama achieved, uh, what he was selected to achieve, <laughs> uh, you know, exceeded everything else. And so now we see since uh, Senator Harris is the, the quote unquote <laughs> first black woman, uh, Afro Asian or you know whatever you want might want to call her, uh, to be selected to be vice president, you know if they uh, Joe Biden is elected, you see the, some of the same kinds of things. But once again, you know Kwame, Kwame Ture called this uh, powerless visibility and it's not that they don't have power they have power in the interest of maintaining the american empire of the uh the oligarchs and the military industrial complex Mm -hmm. but in terms of of the conditions of african people not only do they not have any power they are actually uh, the way they fundamentally operate is detrimental and we saw this with obama's bombing of a country in Africa and the repercussions that is having today. Mm-hmm. Just just uh, just the other day, a group of black people drowned in a boat off the coast of Libya, trying to escape Africa to uh, to get to Europe. And we see we've seen the enslavement of African people. We've seen uh, terrorism spreading into Mali and Burkina Faso and Niger and chad cameroon nigeria i mean even all the way down in Mozambique. i mean my goodness and so 
what what Brother Jamil is trying to tell us is the same thing. Many, you know, Dr. Wilson and others, we have to focus on the system. It's not the individual. You know, it's not uh, symbolism or high visibility within the system. It's how the system operates and what it's doing to us. And for, you know, we, we, we have to get we have to engage both hemispheres of our mind and think critically about these things and not get hung up on emotions, mm-hmm. right? I understand the historical defamation of our character and how we respond to that because it represents in a lot of our minds symbolism, okay? But And, and a lot of times that symbolism, that symbolism is, is really detrimental to really everything that that you should stand for as a race it really represents the low amount of information and self-confidence that you have about yourself somebody sent a, sent me a tweet earlier this week mm-hmm. um and it was sent out and it had a list of the different firsts from i guess people who attended howard university so okay. one was uh, first black woman VP nominee, first black Supreme Court justice, first black U.S. senator, first mm. black U.S. governor, first black. All of these things that people are proud of mm-hmm. under the construct of uh, European created society, you feel proud to be, quote unquote, the first. And in many cases, many of these positions are positions that we held at a much higher level in our own civilizations. Much higher level. Why would anybody celebrate if you've had over 3,000 years mm. of African men ruling the world? I'm not talking about uh, mm. four to eight years of one <laughs> supposedly black man who came out of a white woman mm. being a president of the United States. I'm talking about African men who, and women and women who ruled the entire world who who were in a position of power that every other country or nation state around the world looked to as being the forthright leader exactly and you exactly. were settled for being proud of a half black half white man mm-hmm. becoming the president of a country that has been a country that has represented the oppression and genocide and exploitation of your people, not only historically, but also now. Mm. I just don't understand how we can celebrate that. That's nothing to celebrate. Just like Kamala Harris being in the position she's in right now, it's nothing to celebrate because like H. Rap Brown said in his video, when he was asked if Eldridge Cleaver were to become president, would he not be able to offer some type of change to the system? Right. Notice that he didn't waver just because of who Eldridge Cleaver was. Exactly. He said, no matter who the person is, you have to be prepared to fight against that person because that person represents the system. Exactly. So if I were to become the president of the United States, Black people will have to be prepared to fight against me because there's nobody that can singularly gain power in that position and really change the system. You have to fight against the deep state. 
you have to fight against the Republicans. You got to fight against the Democrats. You got to fight against the military industrial industrial complex. All of these factions that are set up in regards to the system of the United States are things that would prohibit that person from bringing about any real change. And that's why it's foolish to get fooled into thinking that because you vote for somebody or because you participate in these politics that you're going to bring about real change. That's not necessarily to say that you can't get certain things that you want uh, or getting certain demands that you want. But as far mm-hmm. as changing the system as a whole, that's not going to happen by being elected. No, you'd have to have a revolution in this country. And, you know, how is that going to happen? Uh, but in terms of black first, I'm just wondering, uh, in terms of Howard University, did they say, um, uh, you know, the first uh, black person to make the call for black power in the 1960s? He no, was a graduate was... of Howard University. I was wondering. I was just wondering if Kwame Ture made the list. No, he didn't. Of black make... first. He definitely didn't make. He definitely didn't make the list. He definitely didn't make the list. I mean, Howard wow. University is known for firing people. That like Dr. Wilson, right? Carter G. Woodson. Yeah, that teach too much black history. <laughs> yeah, and uh, our brother that uh, we've had brother on Tishongo. the right. <laughs> wow. You know, the the other thing is this, uh, brother Amos, and this is why Malcolm said the African American body politic is a group of political chumps. Mm. And he said, he said, not only you chumps, you traitors to your race by continuing you know, to, uh, to support this. And, you know, and, 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 uh, Bob Omawale, you know, uh, as he was evolving and developing, you know, he, he was uh, clearly an African uh, centered holistic thinker. He said, you know, when you start talking about the part of the piece, worry about the whole, mm. right. You work, you know, worry about the whole, he said, because if, if the part of the piece is no good, then the entire part is no good because it's all made out of the same ingredients. And so, but what's interesting, I find in, say, uh, the enthusiasm of people that we once uh, considered to be revolutionaries like Dr. Angela Davis, uh, mm. you know, when she expressed her enthusiasm for, you know, she said that Harris, uh, who built her career after uh, uh, receiving a lot of um, benefits from her, you know, relationship with Willie Brown, uh she built her career, you know, as a law enforcement official, you know, the, the uh, district attorney, you know, in the Bay Area and then becoming the attorney general of the state of, of California. I mean, that's how she built her her career. And uh, Dr. Davis, who also supported Hillary Clinton, you know, I don't understand how someone who how people who, who come through COINTELPRO who were victims of political repression who's seen their comrades gunned down uh you know by uh you know the white supremacy the the white power structure under uh lyndon johnson and and uh and richard nixon when you've seen your comrades gunned down you know jonathan jackson george jackson uh fred hampton you know bunchy carter so many others uh mark clark john huggins sylvester bell I mean, when you've seen people gunned down, 
to stay in the struggle at that time, you had to operate with no fear. I, I remember, I remember that when our, our attention, we were pointed towards Africa. I was pointed towards Africa primarily by uh, Kwame Ture. I was too young to understand what Malcolm was saying, you know, late in his career. But I was pointed towards Africa by Kwame Ture. And Kwame Ture was living in Guinea with uh, where Ahmed Sekutore had made uh, Osagifo Kwame Nkrumah his co-president. And because he remembered that without Ghana, Guinea would have failed, right? Economically, Guinea would have would have failed had it not been for uh, Kwame Nkrumah and, you know, the aid that he gave Guinea uh, when he was the president of Ghana. So Kwame Ture was living in, in Guinea, studying under the Osagifo Kwame Nkrumah. And so we started studying Kwame Nkrumah, right? I mean, if if Kwame Ture is studying with Kwame Nkrumah, then the least I could do is study Kwame Nkrumah. So we had a study group uh, at Morehouse. And um, I have somewhere, I should have bought it, bought it out. I have this little book. This, we call it the little black book. It's called The Axioms of Kwame Nkrumah. And Kwame Nkrumah's first axiom says, the secret to life is to have no fear. Now, anybody who was really truly committed to our struggle during the Black Liberation Movement had to operate on the basis of no fear. You had to operate on the basis of no fear because you know your life could be taken at any time for any reason. Okay, and all of us experienced this, and you and you had to have a, you had to have moments where you said, "I'm going forward with no fear, no fear." So I don't understand how a person like Angela Davis, who had to operate with no fear, how can she have such uh, inordinate fear of Donald Trump? I just don't understand it. I just I just don't understand it. But 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 even beyond that. Angela Davis, Dr. Angela Davis, uh, and she's welcome to come on our program and defend herself, uh, is a person who was at the forefront of the movement to abolish prisons. Now, this is way before this Black Lives Matter thing and, and uh, defund the police came about, way, way before this. You know, Dr. Angela Davis was one of the people who's in the forefront of abolishing prisons. And, you know, and I remember uh, as, a, as a young student reading an essay uh, by, by Huey Newton called Prison, Where Is That Victory? Right. Because, you know, what what are you accomplishing? You know, and. George Jackson said they were actually creating dragons and the dragons would be released. And so and so you are now saying that you will vote for a person, Joe Biden, the author of the 1994 crime bill. And when the bill was passed, this is what Joe, Joe Biden said. The liberal wing of the Democratic Party is now for 60 new death penalties. 70 enhanced penalties for crimes. We've put 100,000 more police officers on the streets and we've added 125 new state prison cells. That was Joe Biden in 1994. That's why I call him Crime Bill Biden. Right. And it just didn't start there. We, we could go back and document and maybe we'll do that at some point as the campaign advances his relationship with the uh, what Malcolm called the Southern segregationists, the Strom Thurmonds and, and Jesse Helms and those types of guys who were in the U.S. Senate at the time, you know, uh, 
you know, they were like two peas in a pod. Like Malcolm say, when you start talking about the part of the piece, worry about the whole. So, you know, he was crying Bill Biden way, going way back to the 1980s. But what I'm saying here is that is that how can you say that, uh, you know, you were one of the leaders calling for abolishing prisons? And here here you are saying now you support a man who added one hundred and nine one hundred and twenty five thousand new prison cells. Mm. I, I'm almost, it's, it, it's mind boggling. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling to try to understand. You have that much fear of Donald Trump when black people were killed under Lyndon Johnson and Tricky Dick Richard Nixon. I mean, all of, all of the our, our brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters who are still in prison today, Jamil El Amin, Right. Uh, you know, Kamal Siddiqui, uh, Jalil Mutaquim, uh, Russell Maroon Schultz, Chip Fitzgerald, Ed Poindexter, uh, uh, geez, uh, Varanzo Bowers. I mean, all these brothers, you know, still in prison today. Matula Shakur. Right. Political prisoners. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 that's what happened during COINTELPRO. Now. Jamil went to prison under COINTELPRO, and then, you know, they, uh, you know, he was then, you know, got, you know, arrested uh, again because the political persecution of him never stopped after he did his time, you know, in Attica, uh, you know, you know, when he was on the FBI's most wanted list, he was underground uh, running drug dealers out of our communities. (laughs) They charged him for the robbery uh, and uh, assault on drug dealers. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the hypocrisy of these people? But I mean, I, it's it's it's, it's kind of mind-boggling. Uh, but it's this fear. I, if Fannie Lou Hamer and our brothers and sisters in the Mississippi Delta and the Black Belt of Alabama had had that kind of the kind of fear that we're seeing today, you never would have had a civil rights movement. Never would have had it. So I don't know. Maybe we spent more time than we intended to on this subject. But, uh, you know, that's no, but I think it's, know, that's where we are. Go ahead, brother. I think it's, it, it needs to be said, especially in the current uh, events that are taking place right now. There needs to be some type of clarity and some type of alternative alternative, excuse me, opinion and viewpoint versus what we're seeing in the mainstream media and also from people that we consider to be conscious Africans. Yeah. So somebody has to take a, a, a differentiating viewpoint because I mean, right now this is a pivotal time. It's always been a pivotal time, but this is a pivotal time for the battle of the mind. You know, Many what, of the, what did what did the, what did the, the the meme say that you told me about the other day about uh, this? Angela Davis was a revolutionary, and you won't. What, 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 how did that go? Do you remember what you told me the other day? This meme you saw. Somewhere? Yeah, I, I, I saw a post. It's, it's, it said uh, Angela Davis is voting for Biden and, and Harris, but you're too revolutionary not to. Like, what sense does that even make to post? <laughs> Angela Davis does a lot of things that I wouldn't do. (laughs) 
Yeah, she could. She could. You know, this change could definitely be influenced by her relationship to the queer movement, right? It very well could be because we know for a fact that Joe Biden has stated publicly that one of his number one legislative political agendas is for the LGBTQ community rights. Yeah, he's already stated that. So, I mean, maybe she's aligning herself with that movement. Uh, Because, I mean, she also voted in 2016. She publicly stated she was voted for uh, Hillary Clinton. And she voted for Obama. Right. So where's the revolutionary? Like I said, the confusion and the symbolism behind these people who have darker skin that everybody wants to make black. And everybody wants to make uh, Barack Obama black. Everybody wants to make Kamala Harris black. And look, if you want to accept them as black, then then I'll let you go ahead and do it. But at the end of the day, one thing we know for sure is that both of them are not going to put black people as a priority when it comes to the United States of America. So whether they're black or white really doesn't matter. Because the agenda is still going to be the same. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we got to get beyond just a a melanin analysis. It has to be based on consciousness. It has to be based on consciousness. I mean, uh, you know, it makes me wonder. I mean, (laughs) people may have skin melanin, but how much neuromelanin do they have? I mean, really. Uh, Moving on, brother. Very disturbing uh, events taking place around the country uh in this in the in this the current climate and there's no doubt that that uh, donald trump has exacerbated a militancy among the raw elements of the white supremacy dynamic there's no question about that he didn't he's not the originator but he's certainly exploited uh you know this uh this sense of 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 a white backlash of you know what they call doing reconstruction redemption they call themselves redeemers um, they were going to redeem themselves after losing uh, the war, and they did. Uh, they lost the war, but they won the aftermath. Austin has killed five Senegalese family members in Denver. The fire, which tore, tore through a two-story home in the Green Valley Ranch neighborhood in northeastern Denver at about 2.30 a.m. on August the 5th, killed uh, Jabril and Aja Diol and their daughter Khadija, as well as Mr. Dio's sister, Hassan, and her infant daughter, Hawa. Detectives hope that a chilling picture of people in dark hoods and white masks leads them to those who set fire to the house, you know, killing five members, you know, of this uh, Senegalese family. Macky Sall, the president of the Republic of Senegal, said in a tweet that he wished to extend uh, my heartfelt condolences to the families and the victims and wish a speedy recovery of the injured now they they they, they did capture uh, some pictures uh, i guess on you know some type of uh you know a video in the home and uh, they also have a picture of the car that they escaped in uh we don't know but this appears to be a classic uh white supremacist uh attack uh the family uh you know did practice the islamic faith and uh you know, 
you know, being black and Islamic, you know, could have been the reason why uh, there were three other people in the home. They were able to jump out of the house uh, from the uh, second story. Uh, but the other the other five uh, Africans uh, were killed. And. If these were if they were, in fact, white supremacists, which, you know, I would I would assume that they are. Um, this is just the climate that, that we living in. And you just you just you have to be on guard all the time. But of course, I mean, who knows, you know, when you you you, you sleep in your home at uh, at two thirty a.m. Uh, you know. And somebody, uh, you know, obviously. Uh, set a fire that they were unable to escape. So, you know, they probably used uh, quite a bit, I think, uh, you know, of inflammable material in, in, in order in order to do this. Um, it, it's just one of the uh, one of the things that, um, that, that 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 we're currently dealing with. There was a sister in Jefferson County, uh, Missouri. I think her name was um, April Brown. Uh, she's blessed to be alive. She says uh, she had been uh, visiting some friends and left. And uh, she said, this white guy came out of nowhere, looked at me and said four times, F word, N word, N word, N word. So you can see what he was calling her. Then she said the verbal attack turned physical. He held, uh, he held a gun from about two feet away, moved closer with the gun, called me the N word again, and then shot me on the left side of my face. And there's a picture of her, uh, the, the, the shot, uh, virtually tore her ear off uh, she's having all kinds of problems you know uh, may never actually recover her hearing and those kinds of things apparently he missed uh, they have a picture of the guy that did it uh, and he's been on the run uh, in Missouri so these people are just coming out of nowhere just coming out of nowhere and uh, just uh, you know gunning down African people killing African people so that's 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 one side of, you know, this system uh, that we're dealing with. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But I want to get to one uh, local event uh, that's, that's in the same vein. And uh, that involves our brother, uh, Bernard Singleton, uh, who uh, many, many of us, you know, met here in Charlotte uh, over over the past few years because he had had a, had a farm. Uh, in, in, in the black community. And uh, I know he's uh, been a supporter of uh, Brother Reggie Singleton. There, there are no relations, as far as I know, uh, and, and, and the male's place. Uh, this happened in Union County, uh, North Carolina, and uh, uh, our good brother, one of our most loyal listeners and supporters, Brother William Jasper, sent this information to me. Uh, brother Bernard Singleton's in Debye, Endeavor DA Farms uh, is in a battle with white supremacists and it yielded ethnic intimidation charges. So these are basically the same forces. Once again, here we're talking about Union County, North Carolina. Uh, geographically, that's the county that's uh, due east of Mecklenburg County, Charlotte, where we live. And it's also the home of the heroic African warriors, Robert and Mabel Williams. And basically, these are the same forces uh, that Robert and Mabel Williams, you know, were dealing with, uh, you know, over 60 years ago in Monroe, North Carolina, and they had to organize armed self-defense. 
According to Singleton and multiple other people that Queen City Nerve spoke with who have experienced harassment while visiting the farm, similar incidents have become all too common there, only increasing as discussions around racial injustice have picked up across the country. Singleton stated that young men on four-wheelers and pickup trucks waving co Confederate flags have driven by many times and yelled similar things uh, as the man uh, on, on a motorcycle uh, did. And while others have been caught roaming the property late at night only to claim they ran out of gas before getting back into their cars and driving off. According to Singleton, 62-year-old Frank Rohrbach, who uh, lives diagonally across uh, you know, from his farm, has fired shots over the farm, repeatedly yelled the N-word at Singleton and his visitors, and threatening to kill three people there, including Singleton. On July the 1st, Union County Sheriff's deputies arrested Rohrbach, charged him with ethnic intimidation. He's scheduled to appear in court on September 25th. Ethnic intimidation is a misdemeanor in North Carolina and carries a maximum 120-day sentence. While the charge was part of a hate crime bill that passed, the state still lacks a hate crime law that applies to race or religion-based felonies. So there's no hate crime law uh, for you know, these type of felonies. So all they could charge him with was ethnic uh, in intimidation. So, you know, we have to uh, rally around Brother Singleton. Uh, you know, he's done nothing but try to feed our people and uh, give our people uh, a sense of self-determination and self-reliance because if you can feed yourself, you've taken care of one of the most critical aspects that's necessary to survive. And uh, this, this brother has been, you know, just just a courageous warrior just trying to do his part you know in terms of providing food uh for our people and you see what happened like i said he he, he had a he had some land here in uh in charlotte and uh obviously he was able to acquire uh, you know a larger acreage uh down in union county and what happens you know he runs right into the raw elements of the white supremacy dynamic uh, we'll have to follow this case and see what happens. Uh, but I don't know, almost maybe uh, maybe one Saturday, uh, you and I and, you know, Jack, we can ride down there and talk to the brother. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's good that the brother was prepared and armed himself. Right. So that he can offer resistance to this type of attack. And... It's one of the many things we always discuss in regards to being prepared, uh, training, and knowing that there's always an imminent threat that can take place at any time. Exactly. So you always have to be prepared for it. Um, so, yeah, we will follow the case and see see where this goes. Um, another tragedy. Yeah. In, in, and we in, should go and we should go down there. We should go down there. Yeah. Another tragedy in uh, the African community. Uh, took place. 11 year old was killed in Wisconsin. A 11 year old female, young right. sister, was killed in Wisconsin. Um, once again, by a stray bullet. You want to talk about that? Yeah, this is just a gut wrenching story, uh, Brother Amos. Uh, once again, here we have, you know, a beautiful uh, young sister, uh, 11 years old, you know, life taken you know, by you know, what we call the tyranny uh, of stray bullets. And 
you know, this is this is something, you know, that's that's different between you know, I remember the extreme violence that rose up, you know, after Ronald Reagan and the CIA introduced crack cocaine into our community and it generated, you know, uh, uh, just like prohibition, alcohol prohibition generated criminal activities among Italians and, and Irish and Jews and others. Uh, we saw the same thing with the crack epidemic, you know, gang warfare taking place, you know, no different between like the warfare between the various uh, mafia families doing uh, prohibition and even afterwards. Uh, but I don't remember children being killed at the rate children are being killed now. I, I, I don't, I just, I, I don't remember that, you know, if it was taking place, I, I just, I, I just don't remember it. Uh, but but this young lady, 11-year-old uh, Anissa Scott, uh, when she was seven, she visited Chicago. And uh, I, I'll just read what we wrote. And the title of this one is, How Many More Black Children Have to Die? Uh, I see on the backs of some of the jerseys being worn by NBA players, uh, I see the the quote, how many more? And I'm sure that that how many how many more is probably referring to the victims of state sponsored violence. OK, what we have to understand is, once again, within the context of African centered holistic thinking, uh, if, if you can imagine, say, uh, that you have something that's rotten, rotten egg or whatever. And on one side, power corrupts. And when power corrupts, you get the public lynching of George Floyd. You get the home invasion of Breonna Taylor. And you get the stalking of Ahmaud Arbery. All three who were killed. When power corrupts, it, you know, it creates this culture of immunity, impunity. You, nothing's going to happen to me. I can... I can kill African people, you know, at will, with reckless abandon, with impunity. I'm going to be exempt from punishment. On the other side of this rotten egg, powerlessness corrupts. And when powerlessness corrupts, then you get the killing of one-year-old sincere Gaston in Chicago and one-year-old DeVell Gardner in Brooklyn and three-year-old Makai Pfeiffer in Chicago and seven-year-old, uh, a four-year-old uh, LeGen Talaferro in Kansas City and seven-year-old Natalia Wallace in Chicago and eight-year-old Sequoia Turner in Atlanta and 11-year-old uh, DeVell McNeil, Devon McNeil in Washington, D.C. and 14-year-old Pharrell Bradley here in Charlotte when powerlessness corrupts. When power corrupts and we see a public lynching or a home invasion, right, or stalking, we become morally outraged, and we should. And people are often mobilized into some kind of action, you know, mass action. And, you know, in the case of George Floyd, a lot of it has been co-opted. Now, let's just be real, you know, by, uh, you know, white people, you know, particularly in places like Seattle and Portland, 
it's been just just taken way off from what uh, you know what people would, would were concerned about. You know, with the earlier killings of uh, Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown and Tamir Rice and Eric Garner and uh, Sandra Bland and others. But the the moral outrage is justified, and 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 it should be massive. But when our children are killed, in this case, 11-year-old Anissa Scott in Madison, we should have the an equal amount of outrage. See, to me, this is one of the pitfalls of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. You know, it operates on the basis of Eurocentric fragmentation. It's only dealing with one aspect, right? The entire system is rotten, okay? So it has to be an, a, a holistic approach to the problem in order for it to be solved. Seven-year-old Anissa Scott prayed for the violence killing children to, the, to end after they visited Chicago in 2016. I, I, have, a, I have a post uh, on my blog, Makaru Speaks, titled The Killing of Children in Chicago. And Obama did nothing. You see how Trump is like, he's, he, 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 he produces these uh, political uh, directives and he moves money from one source to another. Obama could have moved money into Chicago to fund organizations like the Violence Interrupters, but that's not his orientation. He doesn't care. All right. He was there to serve the interests of the oligarchs and the uh, military industrial complex. So in 2016, and, you know, I, I'm sure I have some children listed in that blog post, uh, you know, Tyshawn Lee and some others who may have been part of those who were killed in 2016. Uh, Heaven, seven-year-old, uh, uh, seven-year-old young lady named Heaven. I can't remember her last name right now, but four years later, now this, this was, she visited Chicago in 2016 with her mother. Four years later, uh, that unconscionable violence took the life of this beautiful young girl in Madison, Wisconsin. Her prayer, which was recorded by her stepfather, is just, it just tears your heart apart. I just want to go outside and play like a seven-year-old is supposed to, she says in the video. I don't want to die. Anissa was in a Scott with someone known to her family. Uh, when a shooter fired into the car, police believe the driver of the car was targeted, but Anissa was shot in the head. Two male suspects have been arrested so far in the as the investigation continues. I'm so confused, honestly, because the same thing that she was praying about, praying that it doesn't happen to her, then it turned around and happened to her. It just devastates me. That says uh, like her, think of her father-in-law or her mother's, uh, you know, friend, uh, brother by the name of Raglan. So, you know, we got a picture of her and where's the outrage? That's the question. That's the question. Power corrupts. Powerlessness corrupts. It's all part of the same system. It's rotten. You can't just divide and say, oh, we're just going to be upset because, you know, of one particular aspect, you know, a home invasion. We should be upset. We should be upset when these African children are being killed because who knows what, how much potential we are losing. And the stress that it must be creating 
for these parents is probably going to lead to some type of mental issues, right? Stress-induced. Go ahead, brother. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely going to lead to a lot of stress-induced parents and families. And it's going to lead to uh, another generation uh, that's going to be cut in half or that's going to be uh, missing key members of their family that should still be alive. It's just, once again, another hurdle that we're having to to cross over uh, due to the raw elements of the white power structure that has trickled down into our own community. And, and now we are the killers. We are perpetrating the crimes against ourselves. So this is this is definitely something that that needs to be continually addressed um, amongst us. Right. The we clan, the clan of Negro killers, KKK. That's right. Uh, but we brother, we're coming to an end of uh, of Black August. Did you want to uh, say anything about uh, any of the events? I know we're running short on time. Yeah, I was going to say we're running short on time, but I I did want to cover two monuments events that took place in the month of August in the history of African people. Um, one being the beginning of the 13-year war, successful war, uh, known as the Haitian Revolution. And I have to classify it as a war because in many cases, it's often forgotten that it was a war mm -hmm. against the British, the Spanish, and the French. Um, three militaries from three nations fighting against Africans who were uh, ruled under slavery and oppression that liberated themselves through a successful war. In many cases, we often try to say that this is the first and only successful war against uh, slavery, but that is not necessarily true because we can eat even in the Western Hemisphere, we can look to uh, the first Maroon War mm -hmm. as one example that predated this monumentous achievement by our ancestors. Um, and if we want to look to, you know, back to the African continent, we could look to how the Africans who were enslaved in the Nile Valley liberated themselves from the rulership of the Hyksos mm -hmm. under the great family of Ned Petty Ra Amos in the 18th dynasty. Mm -hmm. So we have plenty of examples. Uh, Gaspar Yanga is another example. Mm -hmm. uh, New Spain, Ver Veracruz in the 1500s. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have plenty of successful examples of being victorious. Uh, but what made this war so special was that it was a war where Africans not only defeated their enemies, then also gain independence in their own nation state. Mm -hmm. um, and another another thing that I wanted to discuss, uh, another important event that took place in the month of August, similarly closely to the start of the Haitian Revolution, uh, was the revolt of Nat Turner, starting on August 21st. So... You have the Haitian Revolution that scholars say started with the ceremony of Bois Kaiman, which mm -hmm. was a ceremony by 
the Vodun priest bookman or dirty bookman mm-hmm. along with the Vodun priestess Cecile Fatimon mm-hmm. uh, where the Africans uh, created a pact amongst themselves that they would fight to the death against the slavery and oppression that these whites had over them at the time and then you had Nat Turner's revolt in 1831 uh, which took place uh, years later but also around the same day mm-hmm. in August when Nat Turner and other African revolutionaries decided to rise up against their oppressors in Southampton uh, Virginia uh, to fight against slavery and oppression these two major events are events that struck fear in the white power structure and are events that I personally believe were uh, very, very contributory to the ending of slavery as we know it in the Western Hemisphere mm-hmm. because they were afraid that that other Africans would also be able to reproduce what these Africans did and today, you know, many of us, we like to say, you know, if, if I lived back then, uh, <laughs> I would have been that turn. No, you wouldn't. No, you would not. We need to stop disrespecting Nat Turner by saying that we would have not been Nat Turner, including myself. No, I would not have been Nat Turner because we can point to people who I would consider to be a modern that modern day Nat Turner right now like Mike Xavier Johnson that is a modern day Nat Turner mm-hmm. Cosmos and Tepera, that is a modern day Nat Turner these African men who decided that enough is enough and rose up against their oppressors we're still being oppressed right now today mm-hmm. and if you're not going to do it today then you would not have done it back then right and you know and 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 a lot of people uh don't know many many of our listeners do obviously but Nat liberated himself. Nat Turner liberated himself. He stole himself away. Dr. Vincent Harding believes, and some other scholars believe, that he spent uh, the 30 or so days that uh, he was liberated living in the uh, sanctuary or the liberated territory of the uh, Dismal Swamp, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, uh, Southeastern uh, Virginia and Northeastern North Carolina, uh, which was an independent uh, African community uh, that the uh, European power structure would dare not enter. And a uh, a lot of people believe it was there that uh, he came under the tutelage, that Nat came under the tutelage of uh, African spiritual advisors uh, similar to... uh, uh, Bukman, Duty, and uh, Cecile Fatimon. Okay, mm. uh, these African spiritual advisors, or you know, spirit forces, uh, spiritualists, uh, who who embody a revolutionary spirit or a spirit to be free, uh, have often inspired our people. You mm. know, to engage in uh, these types of activities, uh, you'll always see this this component. You know, in 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 many. Uh, uh, Demark Vizi's uh, comrade, you know, his 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 co-leader was uh, a Gullah priest by the name of Jack Pritchett, Gullah Jack Pritchett. 
Okay, mm-hmm. so you'll see this repeat, uh, periodically and uh, repeatedly, uh, you know. And so, but here's what's interesting: like Vizi, like Harriet Tubman, uh, Nat Turner understood his mission was to liberate, you know, our people. And so he decided the best way to do that was, you know, not to, you know, launch raids from the dismal swamp. Uh, you know, Bob. Ferraby had uh, also in Virginia uh, was considered to be a person who inspired Nat Turner. He had waged a uh, a rebellion, launched a rebellion in oh, I want to say 1813. I got to go back and look at Vincent Harding's book. There's a river, a must read for everybody. There is a river by Dr. Vincent Harding. Um, but Nat decided that hit the best way for him to be successful was to go back and organize among the masses on the plantation. He -hmm. thought that was the best way for him to launch his, you know, guerrilla war. And so he gave up his freedom. He could have stayed. He could have stayed. Like Veazey. Could have chilled. Harry Tubman got to Philadelphia. Could have chilled. Right? Mm No. No. These people are driven by a greater sense. I am because we are. Right? All for one, one for all. And so he returned. He returned to organize. Gave up his freedom and returned. How many people are willing to do that? You know, this is one of the things that that sort of separates, you know, us today. But I just wanted to inject that, you know, and you can go ahead and finish out and, you know, close us out, brother. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean to add to that point you mentioned, and I'll be short. In the guerrilla warfare, in many cases, in many of these wars that our ancestors were fighting, they were outnumbered, they were mm-hmm. outmanned, they were outgunned, they didn't have the weapons and the technology in many cases that the Europeans had, but they were culturally connected, and they used tactics to help them even though they were outnumbered by using guerrilla warfare war tactics Mm -hmm. so today we can't be discouraged by the technology and the numbers that the europeans have we can't always think negatively that we don't have a chance we have to have that same courage and that same heart that our ancestors had and we have to be culturally focused because those ancestors who were culturally focused knew that they had to band together for the ultimate goal, which was the liberation of themselves and future African generations. So I just wanted to to close out with that. Uh, This has been another podcast and show by African Liberation Media. You can check us out on our website, africaliberationmedia.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, please leave a comment, like the video, and also subscribe to our channel for future videos. BB for Hodier. BB for Hodier. Power or the lack of power. I'm going to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not job, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. 
Y'all buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.